You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, church. What a beautiful morning that the Lord has given us today. He knew that we needed the rain, and it is good to see it. What does it look like to be on mission with and for Jesus? Who has impacted your life most with regard to Jesus? Who led you know him, love him? If you have your Bibles with you today, please open them to Acts 8:26 through 40. If not, you can either follow along with me on the screen, or you'll notice that there's some Bibles that are sitting in the backs of the seats. Um, that would be on page 862. So, get a slide transition. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of their treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who would relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come here together today to read and study your word and to know what you have for us today. We thank you for this inspiring story of 
joy and obedience in knowing you. Father, open our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. Father, give me the strength to fulfill the role that you've given to me. Help me to fulfill this responsibility well. Because it's all about you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've got some questions before us today. What's the broader story here? Which Philip are we talking about? And where are we in the story so far? You know, before we start unpacking, we're going to have to take a few minutes to consider how this passage fits into the bigger picture. With that in mind, let's take a look at some of Jesus' last words to his disciples. Figure out which Philip is in the spotlight and review the recent events that have led up to this point in the story. Matthew 28, 18-20 says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Two things I want to note here real quick before we move on. First, the word used here for go, boreo, for the Greek nerds, carries the primary meaning of to continue on one's journey. This means that Jesus' mission for one's life is less a totally clean break from one's current trajectory and more of a repurposing of that trajectory. In other words, you don't necessarily need to drop everything and move to someplace all the way across the world to advance Jesus' mission if you're not already on that trajectory in life. Unless, unless he specifically calls you to that. If he gets a hold of your heart and says, hey, I want you to go to Africa or South America or some random island in the South Pacific, then you're going to go do that, you know? At least if you want to be obedient. Second, the word used for nations here, ethnos, points to people groups, a.k.a. ethnicities, not entire countries like France or Germany or Japan or anything like that. The thing about ethnic groups, people groups, is that while genetics do play a part in it, there's way more important stuff at hand here, such as a shared history, shared language, and a shared culture. For example, take the conflict that we already saw earlier in Acts between the Hellenistic Jews and the native or traditional Hebrews. Even though they were both born, sorry about that, even though they were both born of the 12 tribes of Israel, 
they did not get along very well, you know, because they didn't share a primary language or culture. And so some people, you know, the widows were being taken care of and some were not. So that gives you an example of how just because they share genetics doesn't mean they're the same ethnic group, the same people group. This means that Jesus' mission to reach the nations is expansive. He wants us to captivate the hearts and minds of people from all walks of life, all cultures, all places on this planet. From the lowliest tribesman on North Sentinel Island all the way to the most wealthy billionaire on the planet. And he wants to work in and through us to do that. Wherever we are in life right now, as we continue our respective journeys through life, that a bit intimidating? No wonder Jesus asserted his authority over all things and reassured his followers, including us today, by promising them that he'd be with them and us always. Acts 1, 6-8 says this, So when they had come together, they were asking him, Jesus, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. Note the order in which Christ's followers are to proceed forth from Jerusalem. From Jerusalem to Judea, from Judea to Samaria, and from, Ju- from Samaria to the remotest part of the earth. From these two passages, we have a framework for looking at what has taken place over the past couple of weeks. Jesus commanding his disciples to reach the nations, and his prophecy regarding how they would scatter from Jerusalem after receiving the Holy Spirit as a gift from God to his beloved children. Now this next slide should be a map. Oh, I can't really see it very well. Anyways, the point of this map is to show you kind of what Israel looked like in the time of Jesus and the first apostles. Um, and that big orange blob, that is Judea. Towards the middle of it is where Jerusalem sits. Now, obviously, you know, if you're running from Jerusalem, you're not going to get to Samaria before you go through Judea, right? So that part of Jesus' prophecy makes a lot, a lot of sense. But what about the remotest part of the earth? What does that mean? Well, I... It's everything else outside of those two areas, you know. In our story, you know, Philip is on his way down the desert road towards Gaza, which is all the way in the southwestern corner of Judea, on the way out towards Egypt and then Ethiopia. By reaching out to the Ethiopian eunuch, he is reaching the remotest part of the earth. He is reaching someone who will proceed to go 
way outside the boundaries of Judea and Samaria, spreading the gospel. And, and here's the crazy thing. Today, today, you and I are reaching the nations in the most parts of the earth. Every time we confess that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that crazy? That even today, we are fulfilling Jesus' prophetic words? Wow. It's amazing to be a part of history in the making. <laughs> we also need to take a few minutes to figure out which Philip we're talking about today. Is it the Apostle Philip, one of the first to follow Jesus, one who wanted to see the Father revealed, one who clearly had a heart for the lost, especially the Greeks, and who, according to certain legends of church history, traveled through Syria, Phrygia, and Greece? Or was it another Philip? Acts 6, 3-5 says this, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Acts 21, 8-9 says this, On the next day, we, namely Paul and his companions, left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Given the proximity of Acts 6 to our passage, and the fact that our Philip ends up in Caesarea at the end of Acts 8, it is reasonable to conclude that our Philip is indeed Philip the Evangelist not the Apostle Philip. It's really, honestly, pretty easy to get those two mixed up. When I first started prepping for this, I made that mistake too. And I had to get conked over the head and find out, oh, hey, not what I thought. Further, we've learned that our Philip is a man of known character, purity, wisdom, faithful service, an exemplary leadership, living a spirit-filled, spirit-empowered life, such that he fulfills the office of deacon to which he was appointed, exercises his spiritual gifts as a proclaimer of the gospel to all who will listen, serves as a longtime leader of the church in Caesarea, and raises four virgin daughters to know and love Jesus deeply. What a marvelous example to us all of what it likes, looks like to spend a lifetime being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We too can become useful tools in the hands of the Master who desires and delights to work in, through, and with us. Now that we have a clear understanding of who and what our Philip is, Let's look at where we're at in the story. 
Last week, we saw Jesus' followers leave the city of Jerusalem into its immediate environment, namely Judea, to obediently proclaim the gospel. Of these, Philip seems to lead the evangelism charge into Samaria, the chief city of the province of the same name, situated north of Judea, south of Galilee, thus partially fulfilling Jesus' prophetic last words to his disciples, that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. In this week's passage, we continue the story, once again seeing Philip on the move as he effectively takes the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth, but proclaiming the truth about Jesus to the Ethiopian eunuch. What a beautiful fulfillment in and through Philip of Jesus' prophetic words, born of simple, faithful obedience to his command to reach the nation. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, No Christ in your sermon, sir. The motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir. Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. With that ringing in our ears, stirring our hearts, we find ourselves exhorted to ask, where do we see Jesus Christ in the themes of this passage? It's my intent today to convince you that we see signposts pointing to Jesus all throughout this passage, and not just in verses 35 and 37. In verses 37 wasn't in the earliest manuscripts of this account, just so you know. But of course, notice that I've not listed these themes, Christ found and explained, Christ called upon, and Christ enjoyed and obeyed in strict verse order. There are three reasons for this. First, this is the order in which one is transformed from a spiritually dead, fruitless slave of sin in Satan's kingdom into a spiritually alive, fruitful slave of righteousness in Christ's kingdom. Second, the last theme both bookends the passage and weaves its way throughout the body of our text, forming the underlying spine of it, if you will. Third, this gives us a model for how to go about reaching the nations. Now then, let's start digesting our passage. <coughs> in the course of the story told in this passage, we encounter an Ethiopian eunuch, the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia, a country despised throughout the Roman Empire at this time. This eunuch, a high-ranking, trusted official in Ethiopia's government, was a proselyte, a convert to Judaism, who traveled all the way from south of Egypt to Jerusalem to worship God. From this, we can deduce that he was a religiously pious man who desired to obey and honor God. 
how does such a man spend his free time? He spends it reading God's word, of course. To be exact, we find the eunuch reading from Isaiah 53, which describes God's faithful, suffering servant. However, even though the eunuch worships God, he is unable to understand what's going on in this passage of Scripture, still blind to the things of Christ. He has found Christ, and yet does not know him personally. This is where the journey starts for everyone who becomes a Christ follower. All that is good, true, and beautiful. Every real hero story, for example, Superman, Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White, even in Athens, the altar to the unknown God, each of these things is a signpost pointing back to Jesus. Yet few even see that there is something bigger to which all these things point. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit can this veil of the heart be lifted, as seen in this passage. The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of the eunuch enough to see that there is an underlying message in the text of Isaiah 53 and gives him a hunger to know, to know what it means for sending our Philip to him and working through Philip to reveal the mystery of Christ to him. Likewise, each of us who follow Christ stumbled on Jesus to some degree at some point, finding him in a sermon on Sunday morning, a story in a comic book, a movie, a song, a dream, a conversation with a friend or family member, or any of a million other places. Romans 10.14 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? In other words, no one can believe in and trust Jesus as Savior and Lord without first hearing of him. That is, without first finding him, as the Ethiopian eunuch did. Now, when Philip approaches the eunuch's chariot, it seems as though the eunuch is filled with confusion, a touch of frustration, and humility, sensing the underlying message of the suffering servant, but being unable to understand it for himself. See his response when Phil asks him if he understands what he's reading. Well, how could I, unless someone guides me, before inviting Philip to join him in the chariot? We also see an earnestness from the eunuch. Please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Whether because he perceived that Philip was of Jewish descent or because of the question Philip asked and how he asked it, the eunuch suspects that Philip might have a better understanding than he of the passage in question. So he practically begs Philip to let him in on what's really going on. With an invitation like this, Philip gladly starts explaining what's going on. He gladly starts explaining Christ to the eunuch, 
starting from this very passage, one might deduce that Philip did so by connecting the text of Isaiah 53 to the events of Christ's life, gruesome death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. In other words, Philip proclaimed the gospel, contextualizing it to what his audience, the Ethiopian eunuch, was familiar with and what had served to spark his hunger for Jesus. Working through Philip's proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit lifts the veil from the eunuch's heart. Correspondingly, we all needed the good news of Christ explained to us, whether that be through an evangelist at a tent revival, whether that be through a friend or a family member having a conversation with us, whether that was through the author of a humble gospel tract, so that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we could understand that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we deserved, and rose victorious from the grave on the third day, so that all those whom God had chosen and loved from before the foundation of the world would be reconciled to him in Christ through God-given faith and finished work of Christ on the cross. Once Philip ex finishes explaining Christ to the eunuch, we see a marvelous thing. The eunuch soon calls upon Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Please note that while verse 37, verse that contains the eunuch's explicit confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is not in the early manuscripts of this book and may therefore be disputed by some, we can reasonably deduce from the fact that the eunuch eagerly requested baptism in the first suitable body of water that he and Philip came across, and that Philip granted this request without reservation, that implicitly the eunuch did indeed call upon Christ in such a way that Philip could be confident of the eunuch's faith in Jesus for salvation. In like manner, once we understood our need for Christ and his sufficiency for that need, we all, in some form or fashion, were prompted by the Holy Spirit to call on Christ for salvation and were immediately transformed into citizens of God's kingdom. On being baptized and immediately losing sight of Philip, what is the eunuch's heartfelt response? Is he filled with fear, worry, doubt, concern, or confusion? No. Instead, the text says that he went on his way rejoicing. Having called upon Jesus for salvation, the eunuch finds himself enjoying Christ to such an extent that he can't help but express it outwardly. You now he's parting it up. He's having a good time. He's singing and shouting for joy. In similar fashion, we too experienced joy unfathomable in surrendering ourselves 
Jesus as our rightful God and King. Oh, that Jesus would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. The Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. John Piper, in response to a certain quote from C.S. Lewis' book, Reflections on the Psalms, infers that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Indeed, it is enjoyment of Christ that inspires heartfelt obedience to His commands, which, in turn, stokes up further enjoyment of Him. You see, when we obey Christ, we draw near to Him, and so we get to experience His presence more often and more deeply. And how could that not but inspire deep joy within us? The broader story described in Acts 8, we see Jesus' followers obeying His command to go and reach the nations, thus fulfilling His prophetic statement that they'd be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and finally to the remotest part of the earth when Philip proclaims the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, from start to finish, our passage today is marked by heartfelt obedience to Jesus. When an angel appeared to Philip on his way back from Jerusalem, or back from Samaria to Jerusalem, and told him to head to the road that runs south from Jerusalem to Gaza, formerly one of the five chief cities of the Philistines, and the furthest southwest of the five, Philip doesn't argue or complain. He receives those instructions as a command from his beloved Jesus and obediently heads out to his assigned post. Being prompted by the Holy Spirit to join the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot, Philip doesn't hem and haw. He obediently runs up and engages the eunuch in conversation. Upon hearing the eunuch's desire to understand Isaiah 53, Philip obeys Christ's command to make disciples by proclaiming the gospel to the eunuch. Having seen the eunuch's faith-filled response to the gospel and desire to obey Jesus' command to be baptized, Philip baptized him as Christ had commanded his followers to do for new disciples. Finally, after being transported, whether via teleportation, a fiery chariot is with the prophet Elijah, or some other means, <laughs> text doesn't really tell us, it just says the Holy Spirit snatched him away. You know, Philip finds himself in Azotus, formerly known as Ashdod, one of the five chief cities of the Philistines. And can you imagine that? You know, first you're sitting here in this pond of water and dipping this guy down in. The next thing you know, you're in a city that you don't even know where it is at first. And you're like, dude, where am I? You know, where's my car? You know? And so, having arrived here in Aztus, Philip continued to obediently go and reach the nations, proclaiming the gospel everywhere he went as he traveled north 
to Caesarea. Similarly, once we've responded rightly to the gospel and experienced the joy of salvation, the Holy Spirit fills us with a desire to know and obey God's word. Why this desire for faithful obedience? Well, what was your response the last time a dearly loved friend, family member, or spouse asked you to do something? Did you pitch a fit and petulantly say, No! Or did you feel a desire to do what you could to fulfill that request, if at all possible? For the most part, it's true that we tend to want to please the people that we enjoy. It's no less true when it comes to Jesus, then and now. The fruit of a life spent enjoying Christ is heartfelt obedience, knowing full well that such obedience deepens our relationship with and enjoyment of Jesus. This enjoyment, then, spurs us on to continued obedience and glorious feedback loop of sorts. So, tying it all together, you know, why does this matter to us today, and how does it connect to the gospel? From the days of the apostles, all the way up to this very moment, we, the body of Christ, have all been tasked with a mission of reaching the nations. That is, folks from various people groups, the message of the gospel, making disciples, baptizing said disciples, and then teaching said disciples to obey Christ's commands as we go. So, how exactly do we go about reaching the nations? By helping people to find Christ, explaining him to them, encouraging them to call upon him, celebrating their enjoyment of him, and teaching them how and why to obey his commands. Now, I asked you earlier, who most impacted your life for Christ? I want you to think about that person right now and you know, how they acted and what they said to you, you know, how they led you to the truth. Just consider how you can emulate that, how you can incorporate that into your own life. God wants us to reach the nations. He wants to use us to do that. Here's some examples of things that I try to do regularly to ready myself for that mission. Hopefully, they give you some ideas on how to challenge yourself to grow into all that God has for you. Observe that which is good, true, beautiful, and heroic. Use it to point to the character of Jesus in conversation. Practice sharing my testimony. Story of how God drew me to Himself. 
practice sharing the gospel. There's lots of tools to help you with this. None of them can substitute for good old-fashioned practice. Cry out to Jesus in prayer early and often. He delights in meeting our needs. Thank God for his blessings. Read and study the Bible regularly. Strive for obedience and against indwelling sin while fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in the local church, even when it gets hard. Growth in Christlikeness will lead to a deeper, more frequent enjoyment of his presence. Finally, rest in the reality that sharing the gospel is victory, no matter how people respond. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would be at work in us, showing us the beauty of the gospel, not only transforming unbelievers into heartfelt followers of Christ, but also transforming us day by day closer and closer into the likeness of Jesus. Father, Give us the gift of great joy in you. Restore the joy of our salvation so that we might be motivated to obey you out of love, out of a sense of I get to, not I have to. Father, bless your people. Lead them ever closer you, that they might enjoy you and glorify you forever and ever. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.